On behalf of myself and B, we acknowledge that we are not indigenous. Rather, we are of settler colonial ancestry. Like many other settler people, we have benefited greatly from living on Turtle Island. As a visitor on this land, we have an important responsibility to acknowledge the grounds on which we are privileged to gather in the pursuit of building community. We are recording today in the traditional territory of the Three Fires Confederacy of First Nations, comprised of the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi peoples. We are grateful to work, learn, and live in this area. We're making small talk with cool people. Welcome to our show, It's Small Talk! Welcome to a brand new episode of Windsor Small Talk. My name is B Zelda, and I am one of your co-hosts. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm just really excited for today's episode. As always, I am joined by my fantastic co-host and fantastic life partner, Bronwyn. Hey there, listeners. My name is Bronwyn, and my pronouns are she, they, and I'm so excited for this episode. We're doing it, folks. Let's yes. go. Yes. Heck yes. Um, I mean, do you want to enter this amazing human that we've... Well, as you know, the Windsor Small Talk podcast is um, a place for us to talk to very interesting Windsorites that are doing very interesting things. And there is some wonderful stuff coming up in Windsor, Ontario. We have the Jane's Walk Festival that's coming up. And that has brought attention to our guest project that they've been working on for a long time. So I am proud to introduce Miss Willow Key. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. That was an amazing introduction. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, Willow, what are your pronouns? Um, she, her. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you. Now, as I understand, you are a historian and researcher, and today is kind of a really special day, too, because you finally finished your last exam. Yeah. Ah, That's so huge. I'm so excited for you. I mean, you're going to ace absolutely everything because you're just so talented and so well-researched that, like, there's no way. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Um, So for folks who might not know anything about you, can you give a little, like, intro? Sure, yeah. Um, So my name's Willow. Um, I was originally born and raised in Toronto, uh, but my dad's family is originally from Windsor. Uh, from the Underground Railroad community. Um, And I came to Windsor in 2014 uh, to start my undergraduate degree, and I've been here ever since. Um, And now I'm a permanent resident of Windsor. I feel more like a Windsorite than a Torontonian at this point. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I call Windsor home. Um, And so I just finished my uh, final exam for my uh, graduate degree in history at the University of Windsor. So I just have to defend my thesis now, uh, which is the same sort of research that um, we'll be talking about today. So yeah, that's, I guess, just a little bit about me. That's fantastic. Thank you for having me. Your origin stories are very similar to mine. You know, I came to to Windsor for university. um, And then, you know, many years later, I've been here for 12 years now. (laughs) Yeah. One of the good things about Windsor is it's, um, there's a great community here, but it's also so much more affordable. At least it it has been. Oh my Um, goodness, compared to Toronto. Yeah. 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 There's just, (laughs) 
you know, that I wouldn't want to go back just because of all the connections I've made at this point. Um, but also, I think just for a lot of young people, it's not it's not possible anymore. So, mm-hmm. but Windsor's a good place to call home. Well, in the community as well has been a really big thing. Um, it, it took me a little, a couple of years of living in Windsor before I was even able to find any of the communities that I wanted to be a part of because I didn't know where to look. Um, so if we're going to kind of top down this conversation, we'll we'll zoom back. And Bronwyn, you had mentioned something called uh, Jane's Walk. I, I'd heard about that for years before I ever even like looked into it. Um, Bronwyn, can you give me a little blurb about what is the Jane's Walk? Uh, the Jane's Walk is based off of the famous or infamous um, urbanist Jane Jacobs. Uh, she focuses and champions community-based approach to city building. And the Jane's Walk Festival just kind of honors her work and her life by bringing people out into their community and seeing interesting things, learning some history um, by getting out and physically experiencing themselves and going for these walks. And so Willow's research has been incorporated into this festival. And so after we finish our talk, you'll actually get to go out and walk and experience the history for yourself. And that's really unique and that is awesome. I think that's even, that's just the fact that that is a medium in which we can learn about the the rich culture of our city is fantastic. Um, So Willow, you will be talking about Windsor's McDougal Street Corridor. Um, And I know there's oodles of resources and so many other places that folks can listen and learn themselves, but could you just give like a nice uh, synopsis, synopsis? Synopsis. Synopsis. <laughs> Can't get that Absolutely. Much. Yeah, so uh, the McDougal Street Corridor is sort of located east of Windsor's downtown core. Um, and it was established as a Black community, at least around the 1850s. And so this would have been when you had um, quite a large influx of African Americans escaping slavery in the South um, and coming through many different sort of Um, areas across the Canadian border, one of them being Windsor. And so they came directly across the Detroit River and settled right around um, what was the city of Windsor's army barracks. So it's now uh, sort of the the grounds of City Hall. Um, And that's where a lot of African-Americans would have received um, medical attention and care and some temporary lodgings until they could uh, gain their, regain their strength and continue on their journey further into Canada. Uh, But a few of them did choose to stay in the city of Windsor. uh, And these are sort of the um, uh, ancestors for many of Windsor's uh, Black residents today. And these are the individuals who sort of built up that that community, which is now referred to as the McDougal Street Corridor. That's so awesome and so interesting to me. I've been living in Windsor for almost 20 years and actually in the neighborhood adjacent to McDougal Street. And I had no idea that this area had any history at all. Um, for any community, let alone the black community. So when I learned about your research, I was floored because I had no idea there was a thriving, vibrant community there before all that industrial storage warehouse kind of stuff because I just, no one talked about it. And I drive through that neighborhood every day and for the past 20 years and I had no idea. 
Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, a lot of the people that I've spoken to who are, you know, born and raised in Windsor, but are not necessarily from that area, really didn't know a lot about the community. Um, and it's not just the Black community there. There was also a smaller Chinese community uh, along Riverside um, that also, unfortunately, was impacted by urban renewal. I guess I should have mentioned the McDougal Street corridor is no longer uh, there in, in sort of its um, original glory because of urban renewal policies that came into effect in the late 1950s in Windsor. Um, and so it, it sort of decimated uh, the northern portion of the McDougal Street corridor. So from Riverside Drive to uh, Wyandotte Street in between uh, like Goyu to about Howard. Wow. That's such yeah. a large amount of people to displace. Like where did everybody go? Where were they even able to go? Yeah, that's a really good question. So from uh, my research, I sort of learned that a lot of those individuals who were living in that area, uh, so both uh, Black, uh, Italian, uh, there were some Jewish community, uh, Jewish families in that area too, um, and some Chinese families as well. A lot of them ended up moving to East Windsor, uh, some to South Windsor, um, some to Sandwich. And then, uh, of course, there were some people who were unable to buy into the market at that time um, because the expropriation packages that they received were not necessarily uh, always fair. Mm -hmm. So some people ended up moving to Detroit, maybe staying with family. Um, and in the case of uh, my great grandparents, they moved to Toronto. So that's actually why I'm a, I was born in Toronto, um, as they, they moved from Windsor to Toronto in uh, the late, or sorry, the early 1960s. Um, and it sort of correlates with uh, this change in Windsor's housing policies at the time, uh, where previously certain neighborhoods across Windsor you, if you were Black or um, Asian or Jewish, it was very difficult for you to uh, purchase or rent homes. Um, so at the same time that the McDougal Street Corridor and other minority communities are experiencing this sort of uprooting, uh, a lot of other communities sort of surrounding the McDougal Street Corridor and that downtown area, they're starting to open up their um, housing market to previous buyers who they wouldn't really have uh, accepted before. Yeah. Uh, and so that sort of also uh, allowed some people who were kicked out of that area to move into other parts of Windsor that they previously wouldn't really have been able to, to live in before. Um, so it's all sort of happening at the same time. Dang. So like, how did you find these, like the people to talk to? How did you even know? Because it sounds like there's been such a wide spread for where folks were displaced to, like all the way up to Toronto. Uh, did you just start with family and kind of follow the connections there? Um, well, uh, one of the amazing contributors for uh, the project, the McDougal Street Corridor project, uh, is Irene Moore Davis, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with. <laughs> um, she's yeah, she's an amazing Windsorite who um, focuses uh, on Black history here in Windsor-Essex, but also in other parts of Canada. But uh, as a Windsorite, I assume that's sort of her main her main focus is Windsor-Essex. Um, but uh, I sort of just started with uh, any contacts that she could provide that she thought might be helpful. Um, and one of the first and probably one of the most important contacts that I was able to make was Nancy Allen from the North Star Cultural Community Center. Okay. Um, and so she and her husband and another woman named Gail Carter, uh, they sort of started this uh, organization uh, about 20 years ago, actually, I think 
this year is their 20th anniversary. Um, and they were all from the McDougal Street Corridor area. And so they wanted to preserve some of the history of the Black community there. Um, and so I met with her and she was amazing, helped me find other contacts to, to speak to an interview. Um, and yeah, we, we sort of just went from there, just reaching out to people who she knew when she was growing up in the neighborhood and, and anyone she thought might be interested in participating. That's fantastic. That's such a good resource. And I have to wonder, what was it like to speak with those folks? What questions did you have prepared and what questions did you find yourself asking instead? Yeah, so because it was a university funded project, we had to go through the research ethics board. Um, So I had to submit a, a series of questions. And this was kind of the first time I'd ever done anything like that. So you don't really know what to expect once you actually sit down and speak with people. Mm-hmm. So I had some like very kind of generic questions that I submitted and then were approved. And then once I started sitting down and speaking with people, I realized like, oh, there are some other like uh, questions that I can sort of pull out of this um, interaction, other uh, threads that I need to follow up on with other people. So the questions did sort of evolve over time. Um, but I guess sort of the most basic ones would have been, um, when did your family settle in the area? I was trying to establish, uh, sort of this, uh, descent connection. Um, also if, uh, family members ever owned any property in the area, um, that's sort of one of the big issues with, uh, the policies of urban renewal and uprooting is you're taking people who have, um, wealth sort of stored in in their property in their home and then uh you're sort of giving them what i would consider to be sort of a low ball for their property um and uh, you know a lot of the assessment came from the structure of the home itself um not necessarily uh how much time or energy has been put into the property or um how important it is for that family uh any sort of uh important connections um and then also of course the the size of the property was taken into account um but not necessarily how uprooting a family would directly impact them if the funds that they received for their property would uh allow them to go and purchase another home Mm -hmm. so oftentimes people would lose wealth from their homes and their properties and then be put into uh, public housing. Uh, and so they, it, for some people, especially elderly people, um, perhaps they weren't working at all and they were just sustaining themselves uh, off of their property that was already handed down to them and paid for. And, and then they're sort of thrust into the situation where they've got to find uh, funds monthly so that they can pay for an apartment or something like that. To survive, yeah. Yeah. Like that makes and, me physically ill. Yeah, and, and so I was trying to sort of figure out how what the percentage of uh, home ownership was in the community prior to urban redevelopment, um, and then just general questions about what the community was like. A lot of the people I spoke to were children at the time, mm-hmm. so what was it like going to various churches? What was it like um, sort of dealing with uh, race in the city of Windsor at that time? A lot of people told me, uh, some of the formative uh, interactions with racism, unfortunately, happened in schools. Yeah. 
uh, which wasn't necessarily something that uh, I could find in literature, a lot of um, literature about race and racism in Windsor involving um, uh, Black Canadians sort of had to do with um, property and uh, jobs and things like that, but not a lot of discussion about education. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So th- there was a lot to learn from some just very basic questions. And then once people provided more information, I was able to sort of curate some some more in-depth co- uh, questions and conversation. That's oh, there's so many questions I want to I want to take from all of that. But we're going to stick with what I have. Um, I do just want to add really quickly that like ah, that statement of your your formative um, experience with racism happening in school. It's what it was like for me. I had my very first, like, yeah, formative uh, experience with what it was like to deal with racist children and truly and finally understanding what that what was happening. And that was in a school setting. So that makes a lot of sense. And it was, you know, a, a dominant, uh, a white dominant city or town. Uh, and I'm really sad that there's no research in that kind of area because I would love to know so much more about that. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. And so my first interactions with um, racism or understanding that I was different, uh, because I'm I'm mixed race, my dad's black, my mom's white. Um, And so growing up, like in my house, I didn't necessarily recognize it at a a very young age. It wasn't until I went to school and people kind of, you know, mentioned things to you. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize I was different or that my parents were even different, really. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So there there is uh, research going on with um, black, uh, the history of black educators in in Ontario and in other parts of Canada. But definitely in, in the city of Windsor, it seemed like there was a lack of history written about uh, the experiences of race in school. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something hopefully someone someone starts to look into for sure. Please, I would love that. Um, but so you had your, your set of questions, you were able to pose them. And then the stories that you heard, um, even just what you shared previously, like that, that made my, my chest clench. How, how do you manage the story of so much trauma? Because every single person that you spoke with was uprooted from a home that they that they they lived in that was theirs and thrust into something less with no yes that's a great question and uh, part of what I had to answer to um, with the research ethics board was how uh, this project and how the questions were going to impact the people I was speaking with uh, and whether or not they would require any sort of um, not necessarily counseling, counseling, but if I needed to be sensitive with the topic, yeah. um, and that's definitely the case. Uh, whether people uh, moved out of the area naturally following the redevelopment, or whether their homes were actually expropriated and they were uprooted, um, either way, the uh, members of that community, in in a very short period of time, noticed dramatic changes happening to what had sort of been a constant for them for almost a century. Um, And it, you know, it was difficult to process for a lot of people. And when you speak to people, they're very like emotional about the the old times, what it was like when they were growing up, how close knit the community was, how um, one gentleman told me that sometimes they would throw within the community something called a rent party. So if someone in the community couldn't uh, make their rent on time, or their mortgage on time, 
the community would get together and sort of have like a bake sale and like games and stuff and they'd raise money and then that would contribute to anyone who needed you know some additional funds for the end of the month that's beautiful yeah and so it it really was uh, the sort of community where they kind of had to rely on one another just because of some of the more systemic uh, racial issues where they they couldn't necessarily get help in traditional ways uh, one of my favorite sort of topics of the the history of the McDougal Street Corridor was uh, the colored credit union. So a lot of Black people had a difficulty uh, getting loans from banks yeah. in, in sort of traditional ways. And so they established essentially their own bank within the community. Um, That's so, so cool, though. And unfortunately, yeah. that's probably something that went after half of the people were displaced. Yeah, well, they they were able to maintain it for a little bit um, into the 60s. But yeah, once people started moving away after that point, they, it was hard to sort of keep keep people interested in that. And, yeah. and also, it, it comes at a time too, where a lot of that discrimination, sort of like a, a double edged sword, when you start to break down these barriers, um, and people are now allowed to live in certain areas or go to certain banks or restaurants there's less of a need for those sort of um, community grassroots elements so we did see a bit of that as well but uh, I guess just getting back to your original question um, yeah it was it was difficult uh, speaking with people I I did have one interviewee who got um, quite emotional I had to give him a minute to just sort of um, recuperate Uh, yeah and it, it's. I think a lot of it has to do as well with um, the fact that they're remembering really wonderful times, yeah. and when they go back to that community, a lot of that area is now uh, sort of run down a bit. Uh, lots of municipal buildings, um, an expanded city hall. There's really not a lot left for them to look at and remember their community, their family members. And the people that were in their lives and the things that really, oh, sorry, someone's talking my door. (laughs) And the things that really, the things that really fulfilled them when they were growing up. I think it was um, a great opportunity for a lot of them to uh, sort of think back on uh, what the community was like and share their family history, their personal history. And of course, um, they knew that they were contributing to a larger project that was hopefully going to sort of um, co- collect all of these stories and uh, keep them for further generations, uh, allow people, not just in Windsor, but hopefully in all of Canada, to learn a bit more about urban renewal Um and the history of the McDougal Street Corridor and just how unique this community was in terms of it being so small, but producing a lot of really amazing individuals um, and uh, amazing businesses and uh, schools and educators and and religious movements. Um, You know, there's just so much that happened within this community. And it it was, you know, quite small, I think, uh, at at the peak right before um, the urban renewal process went through, it was about 1500 people, give or take. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like a massive community. And so a lot of these people are 
uh, related by blood or by marriage. Almost everyone knows everyone. Every time I went to speak with someone, they're like, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. <laughs> yes, I already did. They mentioned you. Um, yeah, so I think it gave um, people from that community an opportunity to share their feelings about sort of the loss that they felt. Um, and then also just give them a chance to to share how wonderful and amazing their families are and, and yes. how wonderful that community was um, and and give them an opportunity to feel like they're contributing to its written history. You know what? That's um, fantastic. That's really beautiful because I was thinking like, oh, no, like we they're going to be reliving like uh, I, I'm only thinking of the end, you know, like where that's what is ingrained in their memories. But no, there's so much goodness. There was so much history. Like you said, there was so much community. And I really mm-hmm. love that that's what they got to talk about. That's what they got to share. And you get to like encase that in history now. And that's really beautiful. You know, I, I knew that I had family in the area, but through the process of conducting the research, I learned um, that my great great-grandparents, uh, their home was expropriated. They lived beside uh, Mercer Street, oh, wow. uh, the the church, the uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. um, which it, it's no longer there uh, anymore. Unfortunately, it's now sort of the center of that um, housing, the public housing project that's on the corner of uh, Glengarry and University. That, yeah. yeah. And um I, you know, they ended up moving just a few blocks away to Windsor Avenue. And then um, that home didn't didn't last long, unfortunately. So there were a lot of changes afterwards, a lot of apartment complexes that uh, went in around the community, lots of sort of urban changes that followed the urban renewal, the initial plans. Um, and yeah, it just, it was an opportunity to learn a bit more about my own family history and my own connection with the community so I feel um, like I I also got something out of it that was so much more important than just like the academic research seriously Um, though that's fantastic (laughs) not a lot of folks like get to say that you know when they're researching something like this yeah yeah and it was kind of crazy too because um a lot of the people I interviewed we ended up finding out that were related (laughs) so we would talk about you know, various individuals in the community and they would say, oh, yeah, so-and-so was my great aunt. And I'd be like, oh, I'm related to that person as well. And oh my so, goodness. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> I love that though. Like an accidental, you're just kind of going back in your family tree throughout all of these, like all the people that you're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Um, okay, what, um, yes, please. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's what a wonderful opportunity to celebrate how interconnectedness like breeds such power and resilience in a community. Like the fact that, you know, only 1500 members large can be so powerful because of that interconnectedness and can be resilient. And that, that, and I love that this project gets to celebrate that joy that that community brought. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I I totally agree. all of our guests um, how they manage kind of their work-life balance. So in your case, it would be the layers of researching, speaking, and just managing your own self-care as well these past few years. What does that look like for you? 
That's a great question. I've never been asked that before. It's I think it's tough as a student because, you know, I I work and I've got school and I've I'm conducting research and sort of running around the city, speaking mm-hmm. with different people, going to archives. Um I mean, for me, the the like ideal rest day would just be at home, not doing anything, watching <laughs> Netflix, yes. um, just like completely vegging out. So I think when you've got so much going on, you just need to like turn your brain off for a day. And, you know, I watch like really horrible reality TV. And it's the best stuff I, to just like yeah. turn your brain off for though. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's, yeah, that's usually what I was doing um, throughout the the project. Now that it's over, I'm really not sure what I'm going to do, but... um going to have free time again. What, what yeah, free yeah. Time? I, I don't even know where to begin, but um, yeah, I, that's a great question. I think for everyone, it's a bit different. I guess whatever you're most comfortable with, for some people, it's going out with family or friends or maybe reading. I do enough reading, so mm-hmm. I just... I just watch TV for myself, you know. (laughs) And Willa, what has it been like for you to receive all the attention about this research? And, and, you know, you've had different interviews with different media outlets and a lot of people are learning about what you've done. How has that felt for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. I think to gravitate towards history sort of makes you like an introvert, like inherently. I just, I don't like tons of attention on me personally, but um, because everyone's been so interested in the project and in the research, that's made it a lot easier to sit down and speak with people um, and, and do interviews and things like that. Um, and I, I, after doing like the first two or three, now I, I feel a bit more comfortable with it. <laughs> <That's> uh, <good. laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah. I I think it's great. I I want more people to know about the history of the McDougall Street corridor. Um, I think when I sort of speak about it with people who don't know a lot about the history of the community. I do sort of relate it back to uh, Africville. A lot of people sort of are familiar with what happened to that community. And this is the same sort of process that impacted the McDougal Street corridor. Uh, But also I try to remind people it's not just Africville and the McDougal Street corridor, it's dozens of communities across Canada. And that's just Canada. I mean, they're you know, dozens and dozens of communities across the United States that experienced the same sort of process during the same same period. And so I, I do try to like bring it back to a, a, a greater, larger a sort of uh, consequential issue. Um, uh, but I, I, I think the attention that it's getting is great because it's at least teaching people who didn't know much about urban renewal or its impacts on Black communities, especially here in Windsor. Uh, it's, it's providing people with a much needed sort of education on that. So it's really exciting to see so many people are interested in it. Yes. Amazing. Um, and that kind of segues really nicely into my question of like, so there has been a lot of mediums now in which you could learn about the uh, McDougal Street Corridor. Um, You can look it up online. Um, There's like websites, there's podcasts. Um, But most importantly, there's the digital walking tour. How how do you even agree? Like what makes you even want to participate in that walking tour? Because I think that is such an incredible option in which to learn about this history. Yeah, so um, Dr. Heidi Jacobs, Irene Moore Davis, and myself, and then the team at Letty Library, uh, Dr. Sarah Glassford, 
um, we sort of were working on the digital exhibit that would go on Letty Library. So it's sort of a more academic um, sort of uh, resource for Mm -hmm. people. And then we were approached by uh, Reno Bortolin, um, city councilor, and uh, uh, Dr. Annika Smith from the Center for Cities uh, Law Department at the University of Windsor. And they suggested, you know, partnering up for the... um, Canadian Urban Institute, FedDev Ontario, uh, My Main Street Project, which would provide us with funds so that we could facilitate this sort of interactive learning project, which was in the form of the walking tour. And um, we all just thought it was a great idea. Uh, It's a really sort of fun, interactive way of having people in the city of Windsor spend a couple of hours outdoors in the community with their families or friends or even just by themselves and they get to walk around and learn a bit more about the McDougal Street Corridor and hopefully that is sort of like a good introduction for them and then they'll maybe go to the website and actually read the the essays that I wrote and it was a lot of writing so don't blame people if they don't read everything it's intimidating it's informative but so intimidating (laughs) yeah so the the walking tour is really a good uh tool for public history It, Mm -hmm. it it really sort of reaches out to the average person in Windsor and says, you know, if you want something to do for the day and you want to learn about uh, this particular community, you know, here's this this wonderful resource that allows you to do that. Yes, I mean, we're going to be going, so I'm really excited. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Again, we can segue into um, with the theme of it takes a village. You mentioned um, Dr. Smith and um, uh, Councillor Bordelin. Uh, was there anyone else that you'd like to give a shout out that helped you along that you haven't spoken about yet? Oh, I'm trying to think. I mean, there were a lot of people involved. Um, definitely the Letty Library Digital for uh, uh, Center for Digital Scholarship. Everyone there was instrumental with the creation of the website. Um, I mentioned her already, but I'll shout her out again, Nancy Allen. Um, none of the interviews would have been possible without her. Um, she, you know, a lot of people um, that I spoke to were in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, one lady I spoke to, uh, Mrs. Logan, she was 99 years old when I spoke oh. to her. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people were a bit hesitant at first because it's it is something that's very personal to them, and they yeah. weren't necessarily sure how it was going to be used. And so, having someone like Nancy explain to them what what the project was about, and that it was coming from someone who also had history in that community and and wanted to uh, research the community in a respectful way, um, I think that really helped uh, sort of bring people on board. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, I'm so thankful for her. Awesome. That's so valid. I never even would have considered that, but I, yeah, absolutely would have been hesitant. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful then. Um, is there anything that you would like to promote or highlight for yourself? Like, are there any other favorite stories that you can give us a sneak peek of without like a spoilers for the tour or anything? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, there's so much I'm trying to think. One of the really interesting stories that sort of comes out of the McDougal Street Corridor has to do with women um, and employment and agency. Um, During the uh, 20th century, early 20th century, 
you know, it was it was difficult for women to find work uh, and sort of balance home life with work life. And so there were a number of women within the McDougal Street corridor who owned and operated uh, what we consider to be like shop houses. So they're essentially selling goods or services out of their homes. Um, and is, this stuff wasn't necessarily on the books, but um it was, you know, really helpful for a lot of these families to have this sort of additional income coming in. And one woman actually, um, her husband had passed away. And so she had a number of children she had to take care of. And she opened up a restaurant that she called the Veranda Inn. And it was a restaurant she had on her front porch. <laughs> and so she cooked the food in. I shared something about that. I, yeah. I, that and, very familiar. I think I read yeah. that. Um, it was on the the Perry family home um, on their property. Uh, Roy Perry, uh, Roy Perry, and um, why am I? Well, Walter Perry. <laughs> there we go. Uh, very influential individuals within the the McDougal Street corridor and and in Windsor in general. This was the family that um, uh, Dr. Roy Perry was a city councilor uh, and involved in so many different projects and groups and organizations across the city of Windsor. And then Walter Perry, uh, he famously organized the Emancipation Day celebrations. So uh, their mother found a way of making additional income by cooking food in her kitchen and then serving it. And it was pretty popular in the Detroit uh, Tribune, actually. There were a number of um, adverts for it saying that it was really popular with businessmen That's who so like cool. during during their lunch hours if they wanted a like, good home-cooked meal they would uh leave downtown go to the restaurant the the veranda restaurant and then the <laughs> yeah yeah and there's another woman um in her home she had a a restaurant called uh, the blue tea room um and that was also advertised in the newspaper and so she did the same thing she'd cook <laughs> cook dinners in her uh in her kitchen and serve them to people who came by she also catered to people in windsor and detroit so impressive yeah another woman had um a a small grocery store she ran out of her home um so that was sort of more interesting because these are um shops and forms of revenue that are not listed typically in the city directory and Mm -hmm. um sort of go unnoticed once people leave the the area, those stories of families starting their own businesses sort of leave with them. And so it's really hard to, to, to learn about the other ways that people in the community made money. Um, and so I was able to find a couple of these really unique instances with, with these ladies. That's so resourceful. Well, yeah, yeah. snaps to the resourcefulness <laughs> of Black women. Yes, definitely, uh, definitely. Oh, that's so beautiful. can you tell us the best way to learn the most about your research? Where do we find it online? How do we, how do we reach this work that you've done? Sure. Um, I guess if you like reading, then I would suggest um, go to uh, the University of Windsor's Letty Library. Um, and I guess if you type in Letty Library, uh, McDougal Street Corridor, uh, the website should pop up. Uh, it's called We Were Here. Um, and it has a number of um, essays that I wrote on various elements of the community. So politics and civil rights to education, um, the early years of the McDougal Street Corridor, and then also um, the, the urban renewal and the sort of unfortunate aftermath of 
of those policies and uh, many other things that I touch on. Um, and there's also a gallery. I was just uh, with... scrolling it. Thank, like, yeah. thank you for the gallery. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, I yeah. I appreciate that. I just want to look at pictures and appreciate them. <laughs> I'm the same way, honestly. That, that usually is what pulls me in. So we've got gallery of a variety of images of the community and some maps and things like that. Um, and then if you want more of an interactive experience, I would definitely recommend checking out the McDougal Street Corridor walking tour app. Um, and so that's something you can do on your own. Uh, and then I am doing the Jane's Walk. So if you want to hear me talk for like an hour, then you can come come by and, uh, and join the walk. Heck yes. Um, yeah. And then we want everybody, like regardless of what you're interested in, the Jane's Walk Festival is something that you need to check out. There's something for everybody. Um, we'll have a link to it in our show notes. And I believe that starts Friday, April 28th. Um, but like it's the following weekend on May 5th that y'all should be most interested in because <laughs> that's when Willow's McDougal Street Corridor event uh, begins and y'all can experience all of this history for yourselves. So thank you, Willow, so much for joining us. Our listeners are going to be enriched by your research and all these joyful stories that you have to tell and important history that we all need to learn. So thank you so much for sharing that with us and good luck with all your future endeavors. Good luck with what's next. Um, and I hope that maybe you've caught a bug and you're going to maybe keep the research historical part of your life going because I can't wait to see what you do next and I can't wait to keep in touch. Yeah. Is there Absolutely. any way um, we can follow you or support you online? Oh, yeah. Um, I uh, I have two Instagrams. One is a personal one, and then one is for the McDougal Street Corridor. So um, my personal one is um, the curly-haired academic. Uh, and then for the McDougal Street Corridor, it's just um, at McDougal Street Corridor Project. Yes, thank you. And for those who are still not following us, make sure you do. We can be found on Instagram and Facebook as Windsor Small Talk. If you're inclined to follow us on Twitter, you got to follow me as BZelda underscore. Otherwise, make sure you check out all of our previous episodes too. We have so many amazing conversations with so many fantastic people. And we also have a Patreon that you can subscribe to if you want to continue to support us in all of our endeavors thanks so much everybody <laughs> thanks for having me we're making small talk with cool people welcome to our show it's small talk Hey y'all, B Zelda here because I know you have not heard enough of my voice, but I'm just popping in to remind you all that we have a Patreon page. It is something that is building and budding like the flowers in springtime. Currently, you can get exclusive snippets and previews to episodes before they come out, as well as Bronwyn and I will be trying and playing a handful of two-player and co op tabletop games and I'm a huge fan of indie games because why not get creative with the way that we tell stories and gamify it so everybody else can have as much fun make sure you follow us on patreon we are Windsor small talk take care